0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to your morning sermon for the VBC 66 app. It is Tuesday, May the 21st, 2019. It is currently 9.17 a.m. Central Time. Now, before we get to this morning's sermon, I need to at least explain what we are doing because there will be a number of people who will hear this not on the VBC 66 app. And they'll be like, wait, morning sermon for the app? What app? What are you talking about? Well, let me explain. I'll make this brief. On the VBC 66 app, I have decided to try something different. Try try to do something a little unique. I want to use our app, and I've, and this has kind of been the goal from the very beginning, to provide spiritual food for people. I believe as Christians, just as we need physical food to have strength, to be able to accomplish things, to be able to grow in order to be healthy. We need physical food, and we need it a number of times a day. You know that. I know that. Well, we need spiritual food a number of times a day to be spiritually healthy to spiritually grow. It's the same concept. The scriptures tell us, as a newborn babe desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. That The way we grow is through the word of God. The way we grow is through spiritual food. So what I've decided to do is to use the VBC 66 app so that four times a day, I send out a notification to everyone using the VBC 66 app and I say, Hey, here's your morning food. Here's your afternoon meal. Here's your evening meal. Here's your late night snack. You know, four times a day I send out a notification. Sometimes that notification will be to a sermon. Okay. It may be a sermon from any source. It may come from me. It may come from anywhere else. It'll be a sermon that I think, Hey, this is really good. It may be a radio broadcast. It may be a theological discussion. It could be a hermeneutical discussion. It could be a theological one. It could be, um, it could be something from a seminary. It could be from any source, something that I have found that I think, okay, this I think provides some spiritual food and should be beneficial. And I try to send those notifications out four times a day. Now, Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I do not, I'm one person, lots of things I'm trying to accomplish, but I am trying to send something out, you know, multiple times a day. So if you hear this, you may hear this um, on Spotify, uh, the Apple Podcast Platform, Podbean, I don't know where you will hear this or how you may come across this, but if you hear this and you would like to participate, the way you do so is going to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, doing a search for VBC66, VBC, which stands for Victory Baptist Church, 66, which stands for the number of books in the Bible, VBC66, all run together, VBC66, VBC66, download the app. Once you have the app, the main section that I've been posting our daily spiritual food four times a day is in the Sermon and Bible Study Notes section. However, it could show up anywhere depending on the nature of the food, depending on the what kind of meal it is. If it's a meal more focused on church history, it'll be in the church history section. If it's a meal focused on hermeneutics, it'll be in the hermeneutics section. It could be anywhere depending on what it is, but I always send out a notification letting everyone know. All right, now that we have that out of the way, we need to turn our attention to this morning's sermon before it becomes this afternoon's sermon. So this one may kind of serve as the morning and afternoon meal because there's going to be a lot here for you to consider. Are you ready? At Victory Baptist Church, if you don't know, we have started a series on the Canons of Dort and on the Synod of Dort. We've done two messages giving a historical overview, and then Sunday night we started a theological overview of the Canons of Dort. Now, my approach to the history of the Canons of Dort and the Synod of Dort is probably not the way most do so. I'm not approaching this going, you know, let's use this to prove one side versus another side. I'm kind of approaching this... Uh, asking t- tough questions, challenging things, questioning even uh, the fight about some of the subjects, arguing about how, how people discuss these subjects, and just dealing with everything in regards to it. Now, I know, see right there, I have to pause because there's going to be lots of people who hear this go, wait a minute, I don't even know what he's talking about. What's the Senate of Dort? What's the Canons of Dort? Okay, I'm not going to go through all of it, but just let's just, just say this. This was a very important meeting in the history of the church where a very important concept was discussed. And we'll will we'll, and I'm going to oversimplify this, but you can go and listen to our historical overview and our theological overview. They're posted well they're on the VBC66 app, okay? They're on Podbean. They're all over the place, but get the VBC66 app, go to the sermon section and you can find them. All right. Let me try to explain. Basically, in church history, a a fight broke out. Okay, a theological debate broke out, a theological dispute, and we'll just simplify this by saying it was a dispute, but by what many refer to as Arminianism versus what many would refer to as Calvinism. This idea of how do people become saved? Do they become saved because they choose to become saved? They have the ability to choose so, and they choose it on their own. Or did they become saved because they are incapable of being saved on their own? Their their will is so bound by sin that God in his sovereignty chose some through divine election to be saved. This is this very important debate that has occurred throughout, uh, you know, church history, divine election versus free will. Which side are you on? And there have been debates and there have been disputes and there have been church splits and there have been fights and there have been arguments that have gone on for a very long time in the history of the church. Now, many Christians' approach to this is either, one, just kind of avoid the subject. Hey, I don't really want to talk about divine election. I don't want to talk about free will because it's just a big theological dispute and it's not worth my time. I don't want to get into that. I just want to believe in Jesus. That's how some people approach it. Others approach it by taking a side. I'm over here on the free will side, and that Calvinistic garbage is garbage, and it's heresy, and I don't even know if they're Christians. And then you have people on the Calvinistic side going, that Arminian side is heresy, and I don't even know if they're Christians. And everyone just kind of takes their side, and then you have academic debates that occur, and books are published. And, and this was a big fight, and, you know, a few years ago. It became A, a lot of publications were fighting about this. Uh, now I, I think the debate has kind of died down a little bit, and people have moved on to other things, but it's still an important issue because when you read the bible you're going to be confronted with this idea of divine election you're going to be you're going to be confronted at times with okay wait how how does a person become say, because of their own free choosing or because of god's divine election? So at some point you're going to have to deal with it if you care about the text of scripture. So we at Victory Baptist Church, we're looking at it, obviously, right now, through the the lens of the canons of Dort. And they're obviously very pro what many would refer to as Calvinistic or Reformed theology or the doctrines of grace, however you want to label it. And obviously, the canons of Dort is refuting and fighting against the Arminian claims and the Arminian teachings. All right, we get that idea. So what do I have for you this morning? Well, I have for you this morning, what I think, I think everyone will find this to be interesting. I mean, I I hope, I I could be completely wrong. Let me pull it up really quick. I didn't even think about uh, having it ready to go, but that's, sometimes that happens. I'll go live before I'm ready. Here we go. What I am going to do is I'm going to go back to a classic sermon by J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee, and the name of this sermon is Divine Election and Human Free Will. Divine Election and Human Free Will. Now, right here, I, can, I, I was telling you about the different approaches to this, like some just kind of ignore it, some take their different sides. There's another approach that people have to this subject, And I think this sermon may be an indication of this. Some try to find a middle road, right? They try to find this, you know, well, I'm not a Calvinist. Well, I'm not an Arminian. I'm I'm somewhere here in the middle, right? And, and, And typically when you're in the middle, it doesn't really work because you're in the middle. And guess what? The Calvinists are not going to accept you. The hardcore Arminians are not going to accept you. So you're just kind of in the middle. And so what a lot of people in the middle do, they just kind of say they're in the middle. Trying to appease both sides, both sides really don't like them, and they just kind of become in the middle, and they don't really, they don't really dig into this subject in, in with of any depth, right? They just want a kind of a middle position. It kind of is kind of just to throw out there to kind of appease some people, and then they just kind of move on, and they're not going to be a church really digging into this in any serious depth. That is an approach that a lot of. Christian ministries like to have. There's kind of in the middle there. So what I want us to do is to listen to how J. Vernon McGee handles this subject. All right. Now, as you're listening, here's what I want you to do. Don't worry about, wait, which side is he on? Is he a Calvinist? Is he, is he an Arminian? Just try to listen to, A, how he handles the text of Scripture, B, how he presents his arguments, and then take... Everything he says to its logical conclusion. Is he being theologically consistent? Is he being biblically consistent? Now, you're going to have to think it through. You're going to have to listen. And then, when you're done, ask me all the questions you may have in regards to his approach. And then maybe I'll do a recording going through those questions. Maybe I will. I don't know. We will see. So here is this description of the sermon um, that I have found. Um, divine election, human free will. Isaiah fifty-five, Isaiah chapter fifty-five, verses one through three. Are we saved because God sovereignly chooses us to be saved, or because we choose salvation of our own free will? Are these two are these two contradictory, or can they be reconciled? Now, immediately when I read that, that's why I wanted to post this for the morning sermon today. Because you see, he's going to try to reconcile the two. He's going to try to say, these these aren't uh, opposites. They work together. Okay, well, can they work together? If God divinely elects me because my free will is bound, then how can I be saved because of my free will? Right? I mean, do I have free will? Is my will in bondage to sin or is it free? How is it? Um, I remember my church in Nebraska when I got into a huge controversy over this subject. I won't go to retell that story. You can hear me talk about that story a couple of times and uh, my sermons are, are my discussions on the Synod of Dort and Canons of Dort. You can listen to that. I mentioned this a couple of times because um, I have a very personal um, impact to all of this because, you know, I was threatened to be thrown out of Bible college. I was threatened. I mean, Yes, crazy stuff happened, even if ju- even just the studying of the doctrine of election got me in trouble. But I was told something like this. Yes, we are totally depraved. However, the human will, it's it it's inside of us, it's kind of um it's separated from everything and it's not impacted by our depravity. So they still wanted to argue for free will, or that our will was not impacted by our depravity. Now you think that through logically. And then that would prove that every person, because their will is not impacted by their depravity, that theoretically they could just will themselves to be perfect and live a godly life because they're not impacted by their depravity. And well, that just destroys the entire doctrine of total depravity. Uh, So he's going to try to reconcile these two in this sermon. Will he succeed? You're going to be the one to have to determine that. Now, listen. This is not about which side you're on. There's gonna be people who hear this who are very Arminian. There's gonna be people who hear this who are very reformed. Set aside your team. All right, this is not a this is not a football game. This is not a political debate. This is this is about trying to figure out what the scriptures actually teach. So I want you to listen to how he handles the text of scripture and, and then think about his arguments and take them to their logical conclusions and see if they make sense. See if they they hold any weight, and if they withstand any type of scrutiny and examination, Alright? And and again, this is not about criticizing Jay Vernon McGee. There's lots of things he did, lots of his sermons that I really appreciate. I've I've posted his sermons a number of times. I've listened to his, you know, five year journey through the Bible, who knows how many times. I've got all of his notes and outlines and commentaries. So this is not like to criticize him, but you could but just because you may like him doesn't mean you can't go, wait a minute, how is he approaching this subject? He's gonna try to reconcile divine election and free human will. Can they be reconciled? Is it even possible? What's his approach? Is it going to be logical? Is it going to be biblical? Are you ready? Sit back. If you can, if you're at work, listen carefully. Think this through. And when it's done, send me all the questions you want. Send me all the questions you want. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Or you can use the feedback tab on the VBC 66 app or for the members of Victory Baptist Church, you can call me, you could I don't know, talk to me, you could you know speak to me, you know and then people not members of Victory Baptist Church, you can email me, you can let me know, okay I, you know feedback is always uh, very well um, appreciated, okay I like I like hearing from people all right, so are you ready? If you can? Sit back, take some notes. If you can't, listen carefully. Hit pause as many times as you need to. If you're working with people and they're listening to this, talk to them about it. Just let's have a very in-depth conversation today about divine election and human free will. And we're going to do so by going to a classic sermon by J. Vernon McGee on the subject. And let's see how he handles this very controversial subject that has been the, the subject of debate and church splits for a very long time in church history. Let's approach it in a different way by being just worried about what the text says, and not necessarily worried about what our team says. All right, sounds good? All right, here is Jay Vernon McGee from this weekend. It aired on what they call the Sunday Morning Sermon Program. Um, I did not edit anything. I want you to hear the beginning of the program to the end. So their introduction is there. Everything. So if they promote something or if they give you a web address, I want that to be heard as well because I think that's only fair. All right, here we go. Jay Vernon McGee from this Sunday and his sermon. Now, of course, he's passed, so they're still airing his past programs. This is a past, this was preached a long time ago. It's just for people who may not know who he is, he he passed a long time ago, so this is uh, his classic sermon, all right, from on this subject. Ho- hopefully that makes sense. All right, here we go. J. Verda McGee, Divine Election, Human Free Will. How
1: firm a foundation, ye saints of the- we saved because God sovereignly chooses us, or are we saved because we choose God out of our own free will? Welcome to the Sunday Sermon on Through the Bible with our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Since the founding of the Christian Church, most preachers and theologians have been able to agree on the essential doctrines of our faith. But when it comes to teaching about election and free will, well, it's likely we'll never be of one mind. I'm Steve Schwetz, your host, inviting you to hop aboard the Bible bus as Dr. McGee tackles this tough subject in a message that he called Divine Election and Human Free Will. If you'd like to invite a friend to join us, visit ttb.org where they can listen online or view a listing of stations that carry the Sunday Sermon. Or if we can help, call us at 1-865-BIBLE. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with open ears and soft hearts ready to receive your word today. We thank you for your spirit that is with us, helping us to understand the truth of Scripture as we explore this important subject. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's the Sunday Sermon on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee.
2: Our subject of the morning is election, our free will, which there are warped and prejudiced ideas today and they shut out the truth Of one view altogether in order that they might hold the other. One view does not cancel out the other. There was a judge, and he had a reputation of giving a quick decision on the cases that came before him. And someone asked him, What is the secret of this? And he said, Well, when a case comes up before me, I just listen to the offense. I listen to the one that is presenting the offense. And so they asked him the question. They said, well, don't you ever listen to the defense? He said, I did it first, but that only confused me. And friends today, there are a great many people that hold one of these viewpoints and won't even consider the other one in order not to be confused by it today. When both of these must be brought into focus if we are seeing Scripture accurately today. Now, someone will ask, of course, how can both be true when they seem diametrically opposed? I was taught in seminary that this was a subject that you were not to preach on, that it would be best not to preach on it. But, my beloved, this is a subject that should be dealt with from the pulpit, These are days when subjects that were one time considered unmentionable or they were only whispered in private. They now make the headlines and they become very prominent on TV and radio today. Everything from bad breath to birth control. And you may be asked today whether you have a dove in your kitchen or a wizard in your bathroom. You're just apt to be asked most anything today. Therefore, we need not avoid this theme. I grant you, it presents problems. It's a paradoxical theme, but there's no contradiction in these two great doctrines. Now we, this morning, want to examine the Scripture. And we'll find that the Scripture does teach uh, both of these doctrines. It teaches the doctrine of election. It teaches the doctrine of free will. We're going to look at each one of them. And then we want to see that the Scripture harmonizes them, and that they can function together in a friendly climate, and that the contradiction is largely in the limitations of our minds and our own thinking today. Now first of all, let's take the doctrine that is probably more difficult than any other doctrine. It's certainly a controversial one, and that's the one of election. Someone some time ago, not in connection with the subject today, but they sent me a cartoon of a preacher that is up before his Sunday morning congregation, and I can only count five that are there. And he says, he says, so this Sunday I've decided to preach on a less controversial subject. Evidently, he had taken election and folk had stayed home. Well, I do not I do not think today that's the reason we're down, because for a rainy Sunday, we're actually up today. Now we take the doctrine of election. I read this morning for a definite purpose the Lord's Prayer, the 17th of John. That is, I read 13 verses of it. And in that 13 verses, I do not know whether you noticed that I was emphasizing a certain phrase. That phrase is, "...those whom thou hast given me." It occurs in verse 2, "...to as many as thou hast given him." And then in verse 6, "...the man which thou gavest me out of the world, thine they were, and thou gavest them me." And then in verse 8, "...for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, verse 9, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. And then in verse 11, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And then verse 12, those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. And this is not something that is terrible or horrible. Because he continues to pray in the 13th verse, he says, I am speaking the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. In other words, this was a truth that he was giving to his disciples and it was to bring joy to their hearts. Now, what does it mean when it says here, Those whom thou hast given me? Well, I believe that you could not find in Scripture a term that is more absolute and definitive than this elective purpose which is asserted here by a statement like this. And it's a wonderful statement. It simply means that each believer is a special gift from the Father to the Son. The picture is as you would uh, see someone take out of a treasure chest precious gems, each one with a little different beauty than the other, and one maybe with a beauty more than others have. But as he takes each one of these out and gives them to someone he loves, each one has a peculiar merit, and each one has a peculiar value. Each one has a certain contribution that no other can make. And that's exactly what Our Lord is saying here that each one that is saved, each believer, is a special gift from the Father to the Son in such a way that if he should lose one, but he's very careful to say he hasn't lost any, nor will he ever lose any, he's kept every one of them. But if he did lose one, heaven would be poorer because that person was lost. That's the value that he attaches upon each one, for it's for each one that he died. And if there'd been only one person saved, the Lord Jesus would have come to this earth and died upon the cross. Now, this is the, this is the wonderful teaching that follows in the Word of God. Now, I suppose the most familiar passage is that one in Romans, Romans 8. And we like to quote Romans 8, and then stop. But you don't stop with Romans 8:28 because Paul didn't. He went on to verse 29 and 30, in fact, on through the chapter. Listen to him. And we know that to them that love God, all things work together for good, even to them that are called according to his purpose. Now, who is it that things work together for good? Those that have been called. The elect that he's talking about. When he talks about a call here... My friend, this is not just a general call. This is an effectual call that uh, where the Spirit of God opens a man's heart that he might see himself and see Christ and come to him and be born again and become a child of God. Now he says, because he wants to make this clear to us, although it seems to have clouded it for some, for whom he foreknew... He also foreordained to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he foreordained, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, that's a difficult passage, but it simply means this. And it only means this. It means that the reason things work together for good to those that love God is this, that if we love him, if we're his child today, he has going a program. He has going a power whereby he's going to bring that son home to glory. And that son may be like a sheep that gets lost, but that shepherd will go get the sheep. Because he won't, he won't be satisfied with 99, he must have 100 in the fold because he started out with 100. And he'll never come through with 99, he'll always come through with 100. Now, that is a comfort to the child of God today, to know that all things work together for good. Why? Because God is going to see to it, and as Dr. Tari used to say, that verse is certainly a pillar for a tired heart. And how many tired hearts there are in this world today that need a pillar to rest upon like this that are going down through deep waters and facing trials and temptations down here and undergoing suffering and pain. They need to know that all things are working together. And that's just not an idle expression, it's because there is a God that has a plan and program. He began it in eternity. He'll conclude it in eternity, and he'll not let up till it's carried out to the very letter. Now, there are other scriptures. Again, in Romans 16, verse 13, Paul won't let go this great theme. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother in mine. Salute Rufus. He's chosen in the Lord. Now, Paul is going to keep on. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. And remember, Paul had only been in Thessalonica for three uh, Sabbath days, which means he was there less than a month, and these were brand-new believers. And Paul could say to them, knowing, brethren, beloved, you're election of God. You are of the elect of God. Well, they certainly knew about election in the church in Thessalonica, and it was just a month old. And then when he wrote 2 Thessalonians just a few days later, He says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now, a great many people think this is immoral, that election is. It's not immoral, because God never begins a work with a person that he does not regenerate them that he does not sanctify them and he does not bring them into a place that they are acceptable to him. God does not do this in an arbitrary manner at all. And that, of course, is the language of Scripture. And Paul writing to a young preacher, Timothy, Second Timothy 1, 9, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. It's a holy calling. It's not just a haphazard. It's not something that he does in a hit-and-miss way, but it's a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world was. And Peter could say that fishermen elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. Always election is put with sanctification, that God will not take one and leave him in sin. If he does, then that's not the work of God. You can be sure of that. That is not one of the elect of God. It's always, it has to be so, that a son will or may get in a pig pen, but a son, because he has a nature of his father, will ultimately say, I will arise and go to my father. And the only ones that will finally stay in the pig pen are pigs. And my friend, they love it. And they're not objection, objecting to election at all because none of them want to go to the Father's house. They're not even interested in the Father's house. And those that go out of that pig pen happen to be the sons of the Father. Therefore, sanctification is put with election. Now, will you listen to me for just a few moments? You and I must remember that God is sovereign, and this is His universe, and He is the Creator, and we are the creature. This universe is actually today, we're not running it. Fact of the matter is, we're doing very little in this universe, any of us. You cannot put one little star in motion. You cannot shape one single forest leaf nor fling a mountain up, nor sink an ocean. Presumptuous pygmy, large with unbelief, you cannot bring one dawn of regal splendor, nor bid the day to shadowy twilight fall, nor send the pale moon forth with radiance tender. And dare you doubt the one who's done it all? May I say to you, my friend, you're a creature. And not only are you a creature... This is not God showing partiality to some children to the exclusion of others. You and I are not that. Man's a fallen, sinful, rebellious, hell-doomed criminal. And when the governor pardons one criminal, he doesn't have to pardon all of the criminals. He's not honor-bound to do that at all. I have here a statement It comes from a man by the name of Roger Russ. And uh, the thing made it interesting to me, he's the brother of Dean Russ, the secretary of state. He's written a very fine article on a Christian interpretation of history, and he gives us his first point. And I want you to listen to this, because this type of thinking is that which is dropping out from Christians today, dropping out from fundamentalism today will you listen? God is creator. Man is creature. God is sovereign. Man is subject. Our very creaturehood dictates that we are not masters of our own destiny. God is the Lord of history. We do not compose history. We comprise history. We are too base self-will, ignorant, arrogant, inadequate, natural, and earthy to provide for our own salvation. Man is separated from God who created him. Man not in full fellowship with God is said to be lost. The biblical word for this condition is sin. Yet if man is not to be a mere automation, he must be endowed with choice. May I say to you, God made him that way. God gave man a free will, and therefore God is not arbitrary, but He's a wise ruler, whose ways are past finding out, who's inscrutable in His dealings. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. All oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The Lord Jesus said, "'Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him.'" There is a passage of Scripture, again, it's it's strong medicine. This is the thing that made uh, the men like Cromwell, men like Calvin. Men like Augustine, men like Paul the Apostle. This is the thing that caused the Huguenots, when they went into battle knowing it meant death, they could say, If God be for us, who can be against us? This is the thing that made Cromwell have the reputation of being the bravest man that ever lived. And when someone asked him the question why he was, he said, I fear no man, I only fear God. My beloved, how we need that today. Now, will you listen to Paul here in the ninth chapter of Romans, verse 14? And I'll give you my translation. What therefore shall we say? Is there not injustice with God? Perish the thought. Paul says, let it not be. He says, if you are thinking today that God is unrighteous or God is unjust, you forget it because the problem and difficulty is not with God, the problem and difficulty is with you today, my beloved. And this man down here loves to question this doctrine. He loves to raise all sorts of problems, and he does not like to bow his head in simple faith and yield to his Creator today. Now, Paul gives, therefore, A resounding no. When anyone says, is there injustice with God, the answer is no, there's no injustice with God. Then he proves it. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, Moses was a man that candidly uh, could have made, from my viewpoint, a claim upon God. I would think that after he'd led the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, he could have gone to the Lord. Now, look, Lord, I've been faithful to you, and uh, I've led these children of Israel, and they've really been a problem. Uh, Several times, as you know, I've wanted to resign, and you wouldn't let me, and I went on. I've borne with them for 40 years. Now, Lord, I feel like that I can make a claim upon you. I would like to ask you to do something for me. God says, Moses, I'm going to hear and answer your prayer, but I want you to understand one thing. It's not because you're Moses. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God chooses. He is a he today, is free as no creature possibly could be free, and Therefore, God is free to make a choice, and he finds the reason in himself. He never finds the reason in man. He never comes and says, my, isn't this a nice little fella? Isn't this little man, isn't he being so nice? God says, when I save you, I see nothing in you. I do it because I'm extending mercy to you, and I do it because I'm extending compassion to you. Now, my beloved, God's choice never runs counter or in competition with man's free will. You see, God created man with a free will. And he didn't create that free will to defeat himself. And there's nobody lost today who wants to be saved. And there's nobody saved who wants to be lost. Those that are lost want to be lost. And those that are saved want to be saved, my beloved. But this doctrine is a great truth, and it's wonderful to come to him, knowing we're not worthy and that he will show mercy to us. I always think of the fellow that came to town and moved into a town, and he visited several churches, and he didn't like any one of them. finally, he came into a church one morning as they were repeating a scripture, Uh, they were having a responsive reading, and they were saying, We've left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we've done those things which we ought not to have done. And the fellow dropped down wearily. He says, At last I found my crowd. My beloved, when we are willing to take that place that we today are not worthy, that we have no claim upon God, then the arm of God begins to move in salvation because you and I have no claim upon him whatsoever. You and I are lost creatures, rebellious creatures in his universe today. And he does it by his mercy and his compassion. Now, Scripture also teaches the free will of man. And the free will of man, as we've said, is the creation of God. Actually, men are given a limited area to exercise it. Let me ask you a few questions this morning. Did you have anything to do to decide whether you would even be born or not? Did you? Were you consulted? Why are you here today? Did you? Are you the one that made that decision? My beloved, did you decide what age you'd be born in? Did you pick the place that you would be born? Did you pick your sex? Did you pick the color of your skin? Did you pick? The position that you have in life. Were you born in a rich family or a poor family? Did you determine those things? Well, my beloved, we made no choice there. And if this morning you and I physically are, are so limited, how high can you jump? If you and I had the same ability of a grasshopper, we could all go out here after the service and jump over the library. But I doubt whether some of us could get three feet off the ground this morning. How much free will do you really have? How high can you jump? We're limited in any direction that you move today. But may I hasten to add this. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, the free will of man is emphasized. Man was created to make a choice. And God put him in the Garden of Eden, and he was given a choice. That was the decision that he had to make, to eat or not to eat? That was man's question. And he had to decide that question. He had to make a choice because God had given him a free will. And then when you move through the Word of God, you'll find that again and again it comes out like this. Isaiah expressed it in 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And this morning, why? And there are many that I'm speaking to today here and listening in that are unsaved. Why are you unsaved today and why don't you come to God? It's because you've made a choice against Him. It's because your will is set against Almighty God. You've made that decision. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And while you and I were still in sin, Christ went to the cross and died for us, while we are still in rebellion, why, Paul says, scarcely for a righteous man will one dare to die. Why, there may be a good man, somebody would die for him. May I say to you, Christ died for us, and we weren't good. We were in rebellion against God, if you please. And That rebellion is a choice that man has made. And then the Bible closes with an invitation. The last invitation in the Bible is, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely, so that in the Word of God there is a legitimate There is a sincere invitation given to every man, whosoever will, may come. And it's a genuine invitation. And every individual will make a decision. You have to make a choice. You have to exercise your free will. And that is the area in which you can exercise it. Man has a free will. And that free will operates in that sphere where he can or cannot make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, where he will or will not come to Christ and accept him as Savior. Now let's see both of these great doctrines operating in the lives of God's people because there's no conflict in the Word of God. As you go through the Word of God, you will find that again and again. You see both of them operating. Both are true in the lives of men and women. Now, when God brought the children of Israel up to Kadesh Barnea, they were there to make a decision. They could go in or not go in. They did not go in. They, ter- they were turned back into the wilderness. Then, when finally they came up to the other side, a new generation, Moses, in the 30th chapter of Deuteronomy, verse 19, said this to them, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and thy seed may live. God says, I have put now before you life or death, and you will make the choice. And God does that today before you as creature. You are limited in many areas. You're not limited in this area. You either have to accept or reject Jesus Christ. God has brought men face-to-face with that issue. Now Joshua, when they got in the land and they were having their problems and difficulties, they were not taking the land as they should have, Joshua called the people together and repeated this same challenge of Moses in Joshua 24, verse 15. And and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers serve, that were on the other side of the flood are the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Joshua said, I've made a decision. I have turned my back on the gods of the Amorites and the gods of my fathers, I've turned my backs on them, and I'm serving the living and the true God. But he says, you will have to make that decision. You, the children of Israel, will have to make that decision. And my friend today, you have to make that decision, whether you will serve him, whether you will not serve him today. You find both of these operating in the lives of men and women. Then when you come to the time of Noah, you find that Noah brought all the animals into the ark. That is, brought in a pair. Have you ever noticed that uh, man didn't come in, though? The animals came in, but man didn't come in. Did man have the opportunity? Well, God helped back the flood for 120 years. In fact, God kept this man, Methuselah, alive. His name meant ascending forth. And the reason he lived as long as he did, God was holding back the flood to see what man would do. Someone said to me some time ago, said preacher. Suppose everybody at the time of the flood would have believed Noah. The ark wouldn't have helped them, would it? And I said, you're right, it wouldn't have helped them. It wouldn't be necessary to hold them because there'd been no flood. The flood was the judgment God was sending upon a rebellious day. And any man in that day could have made a choice for Almighty God had he believed God. And it's true they were in wickedness, but the Lord Jesus said the condemnation was they were eating and drinking and nothing wrong in that. And they were marrying and giving in marriage. And that's proper. But what's wrong with it? They were doing these things without making a decision for God. God had given man a free will. And he was holding man responsible to exercise that free will, if you please. And that's the area in which God holds us responsible today is to make that. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Somebody says, well, why didn't God call somebody else out? My friend, may I say this to you? Had you gone into the city of Ur in that day, and it was a civilized city, had a wonderful civilization, had you gone into that city, walked down the street, and met the man on the street, and interviewed him, and said, say, understand your neighbor Abraham has gone over yonder to the land of Canaan. He said, yes, he has. We said, why don't you go? He says, I choose to remain here. May I say to you, anybody could have gone with Abraham had they wanted to go with Abraham. It's said of Abraham that he believed God, that he obeyed God. He's the one who exercised his free will and moved out into that land. God calls every man to exercise his free will. And all of Ur, the Chaldees, could have moved into the land of Canaan and believed God, but they didn't believe God. Only this man believed God. We have another very remarkable instance in the Old Testament. I think this is the finest example of all, and it's in the case of Gideon in the choice of the 300. I want you to notice when God was paring down the number that he was to use, he started out with about, uh, about 32,000, and God brought it down to 10,000, and then the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. "...bring them down under the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this one shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go." Now, that's where God's making a choice, is it not? I can't think of anything more arbitrary than that. God says, you bring them down to the water... And Gideon, I'll choose the ones that I want to go with me. And I'm going to choose the ones I don't want to go with me. Well, notice how he chose them. So he brought down the people under the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, were 300 men, but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. Now, may I say to you, that's their free will. Every one of those men that was chosen, and every man that was not chosen, exercised his free will. Again, had you been down there for, for an interview of one of these soldiers, you'd said to one of these fellows that went through and lapped like a dog, he went through, he's putting the water up to his mouth like that, and he said, where are those Midianites? God's going to deliver them to us. And I believe God. Let's get to the Midianites. You said to him, did you know God just chose you? He says, I know nothing about election. And I'm not concerned about choosing. I'm concerned about Midianites. And God's going to deliver them to us. God chose him. But that man exercised his free will. And then you said to this other old boy, got down on all fours. And he said, oh boy, I sure don't want to go fight Midianites. I don't know whether we'll win or not. These Midianites out there, they're like grasshoppers on the hill. They're so thick. And I just believe we're going to get whipped if we go out there. I'd rather not go, but I'm thirsty. And he gets down on his hands and knees and slowly takes a drink and postpones the evil day as long as possible. And you step up to him and you say, Brother, did you know you've just been left out? He'd say, What do you mean, left out? If you really want to know the truth, this is the best thing that could possibly happen to me. I didn't want to go anyway. I didn't want to go anyway. I'm doing the thing I want to do. May I say to you, God chose, but he did not contradict any man's free will when he made his choice. And God today saves, but he contradicts no man's free will when he does that. In the little book of Ruth, you find her going out of the city of Bethlehem down the road, not knowing where she's going. And her hap was to go into the field of Boaz. And you'd say to her, did you know you went in the field that God had picked out for you? And she'd have said, I know nothing about that. Well, you must have known. No, she said. Well, why did you go in the field? She says, because I chose of my free will to go into this field. I had no dream. I had no vision. I had no instruction. I just came out and my hap was to go into the field. And you'd have said, look here, did you know, Ruth, that if you hadn't gone in that field, Jesus would not be born in Bethlehem? And she'd have said, I know nothing about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. I know that I'm living in Bethlehem now, and I want to continue to live, and I've gone into this field because I want to go into this field. God never contradicts any man's free will, and he makes a choice. Down here, my beloved, you will either choose to be saved or you'll choose to be lost. And when you make your choice, you have not upset God's plans whatsoever. And you cannot surprise Him today at all. Now, I must bring this to a conclusion. Our Lord, you remember, made this very clear. And I want to turn to that passage of Scripture. It's John 6:37. Now listen to this. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Here we are back to those that the Father gave him. Now, somebody might come up and say, but wait a minute. If only those can come, then I want to come. Can't I come? The Lord Jesus goes on to say, And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Everyone the Father gives me is going to come to me. But you can't say that he left you out because him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out." This is not a frightful and fearful doctrine. It's a comforting truth. And You have no notion this morning what a comfort it is to me, right here preaching at the church of the open door, to know that it's true. The Lord said to Paul when he was in grave danger in Acts 18.10, "'For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city.'" He says, I've got many people here, Paul, and Paul didn't know who they were, but he was to preach the gospel. And do you know, I've always believed God has a lot of people in Los Angeles, and the most wonderful thing in the world is to be here before this radio and this congregation today. I do not know who they are, but I know God has people that he wants to save. I look down here now and see several that I know have come because of the radio or come because they've come here. May I say to you that this morning, my friend, that's a great comfort today in preaching, knowing that he has, he has many people in this city that he's going to save. Now, someone came to Spurgeon one day when he talked, as I'm talking this morning, says, Dr. Spurgeon, if I believe like you believed, I wouldn't preach like you preach. And Spurgeon said this. He says, if God had put a yellow streak up and down the backs of the elect, I would just go up and down the streets lifting up shirt tails and finding out who had the yellow streak, and I'd give them the gospel. But he said, you know, God never let me in on this. This is part of God's secret plan and program that he's revealed to no man, and he's told me to preach the gospel to every creature. And friends, it's the most thrilling thing in the world is to give out God's word today knowing there will be those that are going to accept and receive it, and then... It's a wonderful comfort for your own heart. The Lord Jesus said to his own, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Today we are told that multitudes are wandering about aimlessly. We are told today that our contemporary society is running amok. Lawlessness abounds, and the mob is striking out today. People want to be recognized. People today want to have something they can hold on to. They want something they can know, my beloved. They pass the one thing they can know. They pass the one today that says, I'm calling you. And if you'll hear him, he says, my sheep hear my voice. And if you'll hear him, you can know you're his sheep, for he says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they've got something to hold on to for time and for eternity. May I say, they don't have something to hold on to. They have someone to hold on to them. Oh, this morning, are you one of these? You don't know where you're going and you're muddled and confused today. Do you hear him calling today? Him that cometh to me. I will in no wise cast out. Then I say this, and I'm through. There are those that say, but this will lead to pride or presumption. No, it won't. Listen to Peter. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. I know there are those that say that should be translated, make it more sure. Well, it comes out the same answer. May I say to you, you cannot presume today. Make your call in an election sure. Do you know him today as your Savior? Listen to Paul in Second Corinthians thirteen five, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except ye be reprobate? You can't presume today, but this morning you can say with Paul, I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day.
1: I love that verse, John 15:16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Do you know him today as your Savior? Well, if you'd like more information on how you can know God personally, visit ttb.org and click on the banner, How Can I Know God? There you'll find several free downloadable resources by Dr. McGee to listen to and read. Or if you'd prefer a couple of these resources be sent to you by mail, call us at 1-865-BIBLE and we'll send you a free packet, including the booklet, Faith Plus Nothing Equals Salvation. The title of today's sermon was Divine Election and Human Free Will. If you'd like to listen again or invite a friend to listen, visit ttb.org forward slash Sunday Sermon. Have you heard that it's letter month here at Through the Bible? Well, if so, please share your story. Let us know how God's using this program to bless you or tell us how you heard about Through the Bible or about what God is teaching you through our current study or how the Holy Spirit is using God's word to change your life. We know God's working in you and through you. So please, why don't you take a moment and share it with us. Simply email your letter to BibleBus at ttb.org or mail it to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. As our time together today ends, I want to invite you to join us for Through the Bible's daily study. This week, Dr. McGee guides the Bible Bus through the fascinating Old Testament book of Isaiah. Continuing our study on Monday in Chapter 53. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm looking forward to being together next week for the Sunday sermon on Through the Bible. All, all to be my own. The We're so grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners who are being used by God to take the whole word to the whole world.